So we are coming down the home stretch of a series that we've been in now for several weeks called Becoming Who You Are, and we're making our way through a New Testament letter called Ephesians. And we've been going week by week through this letter, and now we're coming to a section, a part of it, where we are understanding and learning about something called the armor of God. And today, as the Apostle Paul uses that metaphor, that picture, bouncing off of a Roman soldier's literal armor, he's talking about spiritual armor that can help us walk with God and protect us from God's adversary. So today, we're going to talk about shoes and shoes that bring peace. So let's talk about some shoes here for a minute. I want to show you this picture. This was on social media not that long ago. This is a baby mockingbird. And if you look really close, something happened to this bird's feet where they got kind of mangled up. And so this bird was found and brought to one of those bird refuges. And they had this idea, hey, let's see if we can help them out. And so they made some shoes for this bird so he could do bird stuff and apparently go water skiing if he wanted to as well. Um, but there are different kinds of shoes in this world that help us to do certain kind of things. And so today, when we talk about a certain kind of shoe, let me begin just with this and a little bit of a quiz to you. I'm going to put some shoes up here and you tell me what those shoes help us to do because not all shoes are the same. So what do these shoes help us do? Hike, right? What do these shoes help us do? Run. What do these shoes help us do? Play golf, right? Those are golfing shoes. What do these shoes help us do? Tap dance, right? What do these shoes help us do? Never date again is what these shoes actually a common. No, Crocs are cool, I guess. I don't know. Um, but today we're going to be talking about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Shoes of the gospel of peace. So imagine for a moment the Apostle Paul writing this letter to people that he cares about and he's sitting in a Roman prison cell and the custom in those days was for a guard to be stationed right outside of the cell. So could it be as he's writing this letter he kind of looks up and sees that guard and then starts saying, you know what, just like there's literal armor on that Roman soldier, there's spiritual armor for followers of Jesus. But unlike the literal armor that is used to conquer people and oppress them, the armor that God gives us is there to help us, to protect us, and allow us to walk together with the God who loves us. So let's back up a little bit and we'll kind of run into this idea of the shoes of the gospel of peace. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God has an adversary. God has an enemy, the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The evil day refers to a day of struggle, a day of testing, a day of opposition. And having done all to stand firm. 
Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Andrew did a great job with that last week. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So Paul, as you're using this metaphor and you're helping us to understand not what is literally available to us, but what is spiritually available to us, what does this mean? Well, let me show you what he was looking at on that Roman soldier. These are the shoes that they wore. Their name is Caligae. And you can see a couple things about this. There are some nails hammered into the bottom of that. What was that for? That was to give that soldier traction on their footing, kind of like an ancient form of cleats that you could dig in and you could stand your ground. It's also made with three thick layers for the soles, thick layers of, of leather. And so there was great endurance that came along with this. And it gave you an advantage over your adversary. If they went down, you could use that shoe you know, to hurt your enemy in a lot of different ways. So these shoes allowed for stability, endurance, and advantage, gave an advantage. So let me ask you this. In this day, in our culture, in this time, could you use a little stability? Could you use a little endurance? Could you use an advantage? And that is what Paul is helping us to understand stand in this section. And when we think about that, I think one of the things we need to recognize, we talked about this, read this quickly already, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So Paul, you're talking about spiritual armor and how it benefits us, but I got to, you know, take issue with you right here, Paul, because it seems like we are wrestling against flesh and blood. The fact that you are in a Roman prison is because people put you there. Isn't that your enemy? Haven't they taken advantage over you? But Paul says, no, there is a real enemy and there is a common enemy. But it's not flesh and blood. Think of what followers of Jesus have seen over the 20-some years in the time since, you know, Paul wrote this letter and Jesus was here. Many people estimate, um, historians, that this letter, Ephesians, was written in the early 60s. So some 20-some years before that, Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross to die. Not too long after that, a follower of Jesus named Stephen was stoned to death. What does it mean to be stoned to death? They throw rocks at you until you're dead. Jesus' brother, James, one day was taken outside of a temple, church history tells us, and he was put to death. And now, Paul, you're sitting in a Roman prison, and you're going to tell us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wasn't it flesh and blood that did that to those people? But he says, no, that's not the real enemy. Those things can really happen in this world, but that's not the real enemy. And I think in those moments when somebody comes at us and somebody does something to us, there is a natural human response to aggression that goes something like this. I'm just going to respond in kind. That's what they did. I'm going to respond. I'm going to retaliate. And I don't know about you, but I would own that as my natural, instinctive human response. 
One example, back in my college days, I uh, went to a Bible college. I got to play soccer there. One time, you know, was in a game, and there was a guy who took me down, and I got him back, and then he came at me, and then he, I went back at him. And there was a point in the latter part of that game where I'm standing there. I got my fists ready to go, and it was going to be on, and it was going to go down. Bible college. So I don't know about you, but there is a natural human response to aggression. And I think it might go something like this, that there might be some fear, there might be some anger, and there might be some retaliation. And we would go, well, what else is there? I mean, isn't that the way that the world works? Interesting that when Jesus was on the cross, and he looks down at the people who did it, and he says, Father, forgive them, because they don't even know what they're doing. Stephen, in his moment, asked God not to hold it against them for what they were doing. It was just this positively different response. There's a church historian by the name of Dr. George Colansis. And he says this, not one single instance in 300 years of on-again, off-again Roman persecution of any Christian ever striking back in violence. And we think, well, why not? Were they just doormats? Were they just laying down? Or did they understand something that is so important to those difficult moments? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There is an enemy. It's God's enemy, God's adversary. But it's not necessarily the people who are against us in those moments. Oddly, until, you know, Christians, followers of Jesus, gained political power. This was the reality. After that time where there was some political leverage, things like inquisitions and crusades began to happen. But what Paul is beginning to help us to understand here in this section is that my enemy is not people who believe different than me, vote different than me, think different than me, act different than me, and look different than me. And we go, well, you know, sometimes there are some really difficult moments or difficult conversations with that. We all have a common enemy. Everybody may not know it in the same way. But Paul's telling us that's not the enemy, but there is an enemy. And so with a common enemy, in moments when we get punched, what is my counterpunch? And it may sound like we're going in the direction of saying, well, you just don't respond. And I would say that's not the case. There is a counterpunch, but it is something surprisingly different than what ordinarily happens in this world of ours. And in our day, even followers of Jesus have kind of taken an aggressive sort of stance. We have turned the other cheek long enough. It read in a New York Times article not that long ago. Now it's time to fight. Well, let me suggest to you a positively different way to respond, to counterpunch. Let me give you a real-life example. This is Andrew and Noreen Brunson. And for a decade and a half, they pastored a church in the country of Turkey. And life was good, and the church was going great. Well, one day, he gets a phone call, and the person on the other end of that line says, hey, the police were just here, and they were asking about you, and I think they're on their way to your house. And sure enough, they knocked on the door. Ten minutes later, he was taken away in handcuffs. He was accused of conspiring together with terrorists. And for 735 days, he vanished. 
He was taken into custody. It's like he disappeared into a black hole. Nobody knew where he was and what was happening to him. He was imprisoned during that time. All the charges were false. Where did they come from? They found out eventually it was one angry church member who basically made all this stuff up about the pastor. It's the only time in the history of the world any angry church person has ever said anything negative about a pastor. Thank you for <laughs> chuckling at that. So after some diplomatic pressure over the course of those two years, finally he was freed. They left Turkey and they made their way back to the U.S. Here's what he said in an interview um, not long after that. We have a love for Turkey in our hearts. And when we say this, it isn't just the love for the culture and the food. The love of, of God for Turkey, he placed in our hearts. We continue to love the Turks in spite of what we went through. And we also forgive those who harmed us. I love Jesus. I love Turkey. Could it be that this is another example of somebody who recognizes, yeah, there is an enemy, but it's not even necessarily the people who are coming at me. That there's an enemy that God has that is our common enemy. And then he issued a warning to the church in America. That's, that's us. I believe the pressures that we're seeing in our country and that we're now going through are going to increase. And one of the pressures is going to be hostility toward people who embrace Jesus Christ. My concern is that we're not ready for this pressure and we're not being prepared. And not being prepared is very, very dangerous. And he gives us a word of caution about not responding in the moment, but being ready ahead of time. And isn't it interesting that when the Apostle Paul talked about the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And again, this verb is in the past tense. This is an idea. Don't look for those shoes in the middle of the battle when the arrows start flying. Prepare ahead of time. Put those shoes on ahead of the day in which you face the difficulty. And so I think it really begs the question though, Paul, if you're talking about the gospel of peace, what is the gospel of peace? Now what's interesting about this letter called Ephesians is that it was a letter. And so when it first arrived, it would be opened and read as a letter from beginning to end all the way through. We break it down in the, over the weeks, you know, that we've gone through this, and that's great. But the people who heard it for the first time would have known. He's been talking about that through the whole letter, what the gospel of peace is. So a little bit of a refresher. What's the gospel of peace? It's peace with God. It is recognizing that there is an opportunity for us to be in a relationship with God. Here's how he talked about it back in chapter 1. In him, he's talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Redemption is a slave market word that describes and pictures you and me as being on the slave market of sin. And we were there and we could never buy our way out of slavery. We were so far in debt. But then you know what happens? Jesus shows up and he redeems us. That word means to show up in the slave market, to pay the price for the person who is on display and not only to set them free, but then to bring them home. He talks about a couple verses later and adopt them as his very own children. And if you put your trust in Jesus, that's your story and that's my story. Where are we on our own? We're for sale. 
and we owe a debt that we could never pay. How does anybody get out of that place? It's called redemption. How does it happen? Through his blood, through what he did for us. You know what the greatest threat is to this idea and this picture that Paul paints for us? And it may sound a little bit surprising, but I believe it's true. The biggest threat to this, religion. What is religion? It's advice about how we can work our way into God's good graces. Here are the things that I need to do in order to work my way into God's good graces. This picture says, no, we are without hope. But Jesus shows up and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's how we have peace with God. It's his doing. And we're invited to believe. The gospel of peace is also peace within myself. And I don't know uh, how many of you feel this way. I know that this has driven me in my life in many ways and on many days. And that is guilt. Anybody ever felt, you know, at the end of the day, man, I could have done better. I should have done better. I could have done more. And spiritually speaking, we can be at that same place. And if we're looking to ourselves, that leaves us in no man's land. But here's the way in which Paul talks about this. Being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. Not just to know it in our minds, but to know it experientially. To know it moment by moment. To know that it is real and that it is genuine. The name Satan, one of the names for the devil, literally means accuser. The accuser who brings up the things that may be well true and sometimes are not because he's also a liar that would lead us to the place where we think that we're without hope. It's one of the reasons that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. And what does that mean? That on my own, I'm without hope. But in Christ, when I have been redeemed, I put my faith and trust in him. There is a love that holds me that will not let me go. And it means that God does not love me more on my best day than he does on my worst day. He simply loves me because his love is unconditional and his love is relentless. So peace with God, peace within myself, and also a lot of what Paul talked about was peace with others. And there are so many ways in this world in which we are divided and in which we have differences and they give opportunity for us to be separated from each other. And look at what he talked about. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, is that nice things that you would write from an ivory tower, Paul? And wouldn't it be great if the world was like that? No, he was writing into a real situation where there were all kinds of opportunities not to do that. Here were all the differences in the city of Ephesus. And you had all of these opportunities for people to be at odds with each other, to think that one was more superior to the other. And in our day, you know, there are ethnic ways and there are socioeconomic ways and there are gender ways in which we can separate and divide from each other. And on opening day of NFL season, there's another opportunity for us to be at odds. And, and I think you agree with me that this season will end with a Cowboys Super Bowl victory. Thank you for agreeing with me. 
Now that we've settled that, um, what he's talking about is that we are all one in Jesus. Here's what it means. That all the different ways in which we literally are different are overcome by the unity that is found in being in Jesus. That is greater than all the things and all the different ways that we can divide in this world. And Paul gets specific of saying, this gospel, I was made a minister. Which gospel? The one that brings different people together and unites them as one in Jesus. Of this grace I was given. What grace? The grace that is greater than all the ways in which we are separated from each other. All the ways in which we are different from each other. So what Paul is saying is, peace is my message. But then it gets practical. And Paul is talking not just about, hey, that's what I say. Peace is my method. It's what I do. It's what I practice. It's what I apply to life in the moments in which even struggle comes. And Paul, where would you ever get an idea like that? I think that idea comes right from Jesus. Let me show you Jesus' words back in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And a real simple, surfacey reading of that might lead us to conclude that what Jesus is saying is just lay down and be a doormat. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in this world where there will be times that are difficult, times of opposition, times where people come at you, What if you responded in a positively different way than the way in which it often happens in this world of ours? What if there was a surprising response that was so different and he encourages us and invites us to love our enemies, do good, to bless and to pray? And maybe a way to think about this, the letters PBS, right, public broadcasting system. I'm old enough to know when that was one of the four channels that was it, that was on in the whole world, um, at least in this country. But PBS, I wonder if we can apply this to real life situations. What was Jesus talking about? What is his way? That when times get difficult, somebody's coming at you. Pray, bless, serve. PBS, pray, bless, serve. What if people had so much peace with God, so much peace within themselves, and so much peace with others, and desired to see that even in the people with whom they were not at peace at the moment, that they responded in a way that is positively different? Because in those moments, we can respond in kind, and that's just what happens. We can also maybe make a point I think Jesus takes us in a direction that would actually make a difference in this broken world of ours. And maybe you say, well, that sounds really great and sounds really naive, but I'm not sure that really works. And if you know anything about history, the person who was the pastor in the church in Ephesus to whom Paul writes this letter, his name was Timothy. There's a couple books in the New Testament written to him. And there was a day when Timothy was taken outside in the center of his town and he was put to death. And we go, see, it doesn't work. It simply does not work. But over time, the Roman Empire has come and gone. 
and the Roman legions are no more. Today, some two billion people will gather to worship the name of Jesus and talking about how he allowed them to run out of that grave that comes through his redemption and by his grace. So maybe to sum all of this up, when we are tempted to retaliate, to respond in kind, just like always happens in this world of ours, be ready to respond in a positively different way. Put the shoes on ahead of time. Be ready. Because in the moment, I think our instinct is to respond in kind. I want to give you another real-life example of what we're talking about here. This is Helen Berhane. She lives in the country of Eritrea up in northeast Africa there, and there's been a lot of trouble there, especially for followers of Jesus, that people have been persecuted, and she is one of the recipients of that. She was in captivity for two and a half years in a sea container. No ventilation, no sanitation. The only time that she was brought out of that sea container was to be beaten. And not that long ago, she was speaking at a conference about that and sharing a song that God gave her in there. Check this out. I have um, one song. Uh, God gave me this song when I was in that metal shipping container. Once the... Um, uh, found a letter to other prisoner. So they beat me until the stick cut into small pieces. So I stay outside the whole evening. So I experience it's very cold. So I start singing new song. So that song I will sing to you. It says kind of doesn't matter uh, if I'm freezing but I will follow my uh, forefather's foot. So I will sing that song. Afkira kande tataki aka Fumtuwa tanita amaminaka Nema sertitirai Aikon kunta rabbinaka Kasamwatune
How does somebody have the peace of God in the middle of that? And really, it comes from peace with God. And I just want to invite you, if you've never taken that step, is a time to have peace with God. And inside of that relationship, there can be the peace of God that is transcendent. And as we said at the beginning, there's God who loves you. And because he loves you, he made a way for you to belong to him. And what he does is he redeems people. And the call is for us to abandon hope in ourselves and put all our hope, all our trust, all our faith in him. If today you want to take that step, I'm going to invite you to do something. You can text the word trust to that number. And the reason why is this, that we would like to get into your hands some information that we think will be really helpful to getting that relationship with Jesus underway. And what does that mean, you know, after this moment? And we would love to get that to you. Would you bow your heads together with me? And if it is time today to take that step, it's just an invitation to be honest with God about who we are, that we've fallen short in a lot of ways. And it's also taking hold of the grace of God and asking for the forgiveness of God. And it's because of the redemption that Jesus has accomplished for us. That's how we have peace with God. And then we get to journey with him. And it's a commitment to follow him the rest of our days. Not perfectly, because nobody this side of heaven does that. But it's a commitment even when we stumble and fall to get up and keep walking. And Lord Jesus, thank you today for who you are. Thank you for direction in this broken world of ours that there can be a positively different response than happens all the time. And God, we pray that you would give us courage for those moments and not for our own sake, but so that it might point in your direction to the difference that you make and to the peace that you have accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for grace after grace, day after day, and your tremendous patience with us. May we find our hope in you and journey with you all the more. And we ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.